a uh, kingdom tent revival down in St. Augustine this past week. Yeah, I feel really boxed in right now. <laughs> Amen. See, now, Pastor Mark and I, we minister a little bit different, and I move a lot, and he can move a little less than I can. So I'm feeling like a little dog. Did you? Okay, that's good. So, um, but in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, we had a kingdom tent revival down there, and I had ministered this message there, and man, it just seemed right with me and the Holy Ghost that we ought to pick up and say uh, some things here. Now, obviously, we uh, did it out in the city, and, um, but man, uh, there's something in here that's real pertinent for us to see and understand. We've read it, but there's some things that we can bring to light uh, new and different. Amen? So let's, let's look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 13, verse 24. It says this, Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Amen? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. It says, The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to, uh, then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for a while... Um, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to be burned, to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Amen? Now, we've seen this before, you know, and if you've been in church before, you've probably heard some minister minister along these lines with this parable, and most of them will tell you that the wheat represents children of God and that the tares represent the children of the devil, okay? Or the wheat represent the righteous people and the tares represent the unrighteous. And in the end time, when the, the last two raw, everything's done, God comes back, that those that have, do not know Christ, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire, be burned in hell, okay? And then those who are of God, he'll take home with him to heaven, okay? And we've probably heard that before, amen? Now, yes, wheat is righteous people. That is a true statement, okay? And tares are unrighteous people. That is truth, okay? But there's another principle I want us to look at because typically when we look at this, we see this passage of Scripture and we only deal with what's going on right now. And we don't ask questions sometimes of what did it look like before and why is it like this and what's going on in the world. Amen? And so what happens is if we look at this first verse here in 24, it says Jesus presented to them another parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Okay? So he's given a comparison of what? The kingdom of heaven. Okay? The kingdom where God lives in his realm called heaven. Everybody know where that's at? All right. There's another place that we don't see, correct? Hallelujah. Amen? Okay. So then that realm, the kingdom of heaven, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So who owns the field? The man does. And the man is probably God. And obviously he is, according to this parable, because the kingdom of heaven too may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So he owns the field, and it's God. And what kind of seed did he put in it? Good seed. Good seed. It's good. 
It was good. Have we heard that statement before? It is good. Amen? Then the next verse tells us then, but while his men, say his men. Whose men? His men were what? Sleeping. Apparently the men had the men in his field had responsibility to watch the field. Amen. I mean, that's like you if you hired somebody to watch your field. And say, now I want you all to watch this thing at night because we've got a bunch of foxes coming in here or we've got, you know, some coyotes coming in or all them pigs that run around in this state. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we have to make, change y'all from the Georgia Bulldogs to the Georgia Hogs. Right? I am a Gator fan. I just want you all to know that. All right. Amen. That's what I like. Okay. Good. That's what I like. Amen. When we play in this year. Man, I'm so excited. I love football. Amen. This is good. I always got to see who's for me and who's against me. Amen. So, anyway, and you, if you paid them, then that means you are asleep. If you go to sleep, would your field looking good? And you say, man, that's a good-looking field. Okay, I planted the seed there. It looks good. All right, gentlemen, now it's your responsibility to make sure nothing gets it. And if they fall asleep, in essence, they don't do what they're assigned to do, and pigs come in, whose fault is it? Is it yours or is it the people you hired? It's the people you hired. Because you hired them to watch your field to keep it from having an issue. And so obviously this man who sowed good seed in his field, only good seed in his field, the one he owns, but then he has men assigned to it, and they were asleep, and while he was asleep, the enemy of the man came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. Hallelujah. So we recognize there's a problem took place, and it sure wasn't the owner of the field's fault. Amen? See, this is the part of the parable. We don't have tape today. You understand? I'm going to be struggling a little bit. Um, and I really don't need it other than just us recording. That's why I'm still wearing this at this point, okay? But um, we need to ask the question of what's taking place in the field before the problem. Because the Bible tells us the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, and that scripture we blow by to get to where we live. We live in a field right now that has tares and weeds. But notice there was a time when the field didn't have tares. Amen. You see this? All right. Now let's... Where is this a type and shadow? Parables are types and shadows, which means they are hidden truths. Jesus is saying something without saying something. You understand what I'm talking about? Oh, praise God. Pull me off some. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Um, he's doing a type and shadow. Parables were not so much that he's explaining, but he's speaking a truth, and those who have ears to hear can hear. You see what I'm saying? He says, because the disciples came to him and says, why do you speak in parables? And he says, well, I speak in parables because those who have eyes to see, see, and those who have ears to hear, hear. Meaning, if they want understanding, they'll get it. But if they don't, it's better I don't tell them. Because when you hear truth and you understand truth, you're responsible for truth. You're responsible for it. Okay? 
And so the Lord would rather draw them and communicate and develop this heart, this drawing of a heart to want to know truth more so than just say something that now they can understand and, and have responsibility for. So he spoke to them in parables because he told them, he said this to his disciples, he said, I speak to them in parables for that reason, but unto you has been given the opportunity or the right to understand the mysteries. And he spoke plain to them. Remember when he talked about the parable of the sower and he talked about the seed, you know, thrown you know, throw to the wayside and some thrown among the rocks and some thrown among the thorns and then throw, some thrown on good ground. Amen. And we know that's a type and shadow parable too. And then he explains it to his disciples, totally breaks that thing down, that that word is the word of the kingdom when it's sown into a person's heart, but they don't have understanding. The devil comes and immediately snatches it away. Seed that is sown among the rocks, though they sprout up, but they have no root system, means they have no root in the word. And when trials and tribulations come, man, they wither up and die. There's no fruit in their lives. Then you have the thorns, which rep represents the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, he said, and it comes in and chokes the word. They're more concerned about what's going on in the world than they are concerned about God. But then you got the seed that gets sown into good ground, and it yields fruit. Some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Because if the word is in you, and you activate the word and you act on it, it will produce in your life. Hallelujah. So then, what does the field look like when, in this verse 24, where, what's he making reference to since his parable is a type and shadow? We'll turn over to Genesis chapter 1. <coughs> Genesis chapter 1. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God, what? Said, let there be light, and there was. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be. Correct? Amen. Then, and then he goes on. That's the second day. Then in verse 9, then God said, let the waters. Correct? Amen. Now here... We see after this day, it says, uh, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was what? What was it? Is good. He saw that the light was good on the first day. Correct? He saw good things. When he created, they were good things. The next day... He starts putting together, uh, then he lets the earth, the vegetation and all that, right? And it brings forth, and he saw that it was what? Good. That's the third day. Then there's this light in the expanse of heaven that God speaks on. Correct? And in verse 18, and God saw that it was what? Good. That's the fourth day. Then on the fifth day, hallelujah, God created great sea monsters, living creatures. I'm down to verse 22 now. Or verse 21, the end says, and God saw that it was what? It was what? It's good. That's the fifth day. Verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so, and God saw the beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind, everything that creeps on the earth after its kind. And God saw that it was what? It's good. Verse 25. So what will we call this? We call this good seed. Because again, according to the parable of the sower, the seed is the Word of God. 
And God said, which is the Word. He spoke the Word. And when the Word was spoken, the Spirit of God performed that work. Performed that Word. It came to pass. So He sowed the Word into this seen realm called planet Earth. God, from His unseen realm, created when we see what we look at right now. Amen. You understand, there are invisible things out there. Correct? Amen. There are invisible things, like wind. Now, it's tangible, but we don't see it. Right? You get out, but you feel it. You see the effects of it, but you can't get your eye on it because it's invisible. Amen. And we know that the Bible tells us that God, through Christ, created both the visible and invisible things. And there's another realm. In fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. That's very powerful. So there is a realm, there is an unseen place right now that exists, but we just can't see it. Amen. There are things that are hidden in another place, but it's real. And out of that place, this one is created. Who made the earth? God did. And He spoke it into existence. Which means He owns the planet, not because He bought it, but because He created it. It's His by right of creation. And when He created it, He created it from His nature, and His nature is love, and His nature is good. Hallelujah. Amen. So in essence, the Lord creates a pretty big field. Amen. That's a lot of acreage. Think about it. How many acres do you think is on the planet? And I'm talking under the water everywhere. He owns every... There's not a place on the planet he doesn't own. Because he created it. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's his. He says, God made the heavens and the earth in Isaiah 45. Amen? 45 and verse 18. He created the heavens and the earth. He did this. And he formed it not to be uninhabited. When he made it, he made it in mind for it to have a habitation, for something to be on it. So every day he has spoken and said it's good. Then in verse 26, on the sixth day, look what God says. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them what? Let them rule, New American Standard says. Uh, King James says, let them have dominion. What? Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the, over all the what? Over all the what? Over all the earth. And over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So what on the planet does man not have dominion of? What is he not ruling on the planet? He remo- he's ruling everything but himself. Because man wasn't, supposed, wasn't designed to rule himself, God ruled man. But man had charge over his field. Which brings us back to this parable here in Matthew 13, that there is a man, because the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man, that's God, who sowed good seed in his field. When God created the planet, it was good. We put it this way, it's like heaven on earth. And after he finishes creating man, he says, it's good. Then on the seventh day, he rests from all his work and said what? It's good. Well, now, if the Lord says it's good, then there can't be nothing bad. Because the Lord can't lie. He's not a man that he should lie. He didn't say, well, there are a few bad things, but, you know, I'm not going to mention that because the good outweighs the bad. He didn't do that, did he? 
No, it was good. But here's the thing. He created a man. His name's Adam, and he gave him rule or dominion. In essence, according to this parable, we see the Lord says, I own the field. Now, man, I've made you in my image. I want you to act like me on the earth and take care of my field. Field's good. All you got to do is take care of it. Amen. And he puts man in the earth. He, he forms him out of the dust of the earth. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. From his side, out of his rib, he forms a woman, brings him to man. She's a helpmeet. So both of them are to have dominion and operate on the earth and take care. They are to subdue, exercise their authority, and multiply and be fruitful on the planet. Then they have everything taken care of. I mean, they don't have to work for food. The, the, the trees make the food for them. They don't have to work for water. It's there. Everything. They don't have to worry about clothes. I mean, they don't worry about a thing. Why? Because they are on a planet that is good. But then the Lord says something to the man. He says this. Now listen, you can eat of any fruit in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat it, you will surely want to take place. Now here's a question we ask all the time. I'm going to ask again. If Adam had never eaten the fruit, where would he be today? Now, that's a powerful statement. Because that has shifted your thinking a little bit. Because right now in our world, all we think about when we go to church a lot of times and we hear about Jesus is, let's leave the planet, let's get to heaven. And sure, the Bible tells us to be absent from your body, you'll be present with the Lord. Nobody's saying you won't be. Okay? But I want you to understand, in the beginning, Adam didn't think that way. Because Adam was in a planet that was nothing but good. In fact, it couldn't look more like heaven. Because it was created from the person who resides in heaven. And in essence, he says, listen, I'm going to extend myself. I'm going to make a planet for man who is of my image spiritually, but he's assigned to the earth. And if you don't, if you do what I say, the man will never die. Adam went walking around saying, I can't wait to get to heaven. Adam did not live that kind of existence. Adam had no problem talking with God because the Bible tells us he talked with him in the cool of the day. He had no problem having a conversation with God. They were still one, though they lived in two different locations. Hallelujah. And it was the man's responsibility to take care of the field. The man's responsibility. Do you see this? Now, the Lord did not have to tell him that something has taken place in heaven. Because the Lord has already instructed him, do not eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat it, you'll surely die. That's all he has to know. Because if he does that, guess what? He'll always live. And he'll only know good. Does, does Adam know good? Come on, y'all with me tonight. He only knows good because everything God sowed in the earth was good. Adam was good. He's in the image of God. It says, let us make man in our image. What could be wrong with Adam? According to our likeness, how can there be anything wrong with Adam if he's created in, his, in God's image and in God's likeness? And in the Hebrew, it means literally, it means a, a carbon copy. He's not God, but he's in the image of God. He's the likeness of God. Which means he's blameless. He's perfect. Hallelujah. But something has taken place in heaven. And he's unaware of that because he doesn't live up there. 
And what's taking place is there's this anointed cherubim called the Son of Morning Star. We've, we've called him Lucifer. And he has rebelled against God. You can read it for yourself in Isaiah chapter 14. He says, I will ascend my throne above the Most High. Amen. He had five I wills. In essence, he had pride was lifted up, and he decided to rebel against God's kingdom in heaven. In essence, honestly, he just was doing a government takeover. He was trying to take over the throne. Does God sit on a throne? Is he over a kingdom? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to... You understand, when we say the word kingdom now, recognize we're not talking heaven. We're talking kingdom of heaven. Heaven is a place, but in heaven there is a kingdom. Kingdom is a government. Where there is a king over a domain. This is very important. Because if we are going to interpret the Bible correctly, we must read it based upon what it's set in. And the Bible is set in a kingdom, not set in a democracy. That's important. Okay? Because the king has a final say. Hallelujah. That's why his word doesn't fail. Amen. And so, he in the kingdom of heaven where God is, this morning star, this anointed cherubim, tried to come and take it over and convince a third of the angels to go with him. But we know what the Bible tells us. Jesus quoted this in Matthew. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Right? So he's been cast down to the earth, and he negotiates with a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The enemy of God has shown up on the field. And it's not God's responsibility to deal with this enemy in his field because he has a man there. Come on, get this, man. Get this. There's a man on the earth. He has assigned dominion or rule. He has the authority to take care of the field. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's not because God's sleeping. It's because God has assigned and delegated a task. He's given it to man. And it's man's responsibility. So when the serpent came and talked to Eve, he asked some questions because he don't know. But he needs to know what the king says because if he is going to be his nature, which is a liar, he must find out what truth is first. You see, you can't tell a lie unless you know what truth is. So he ain't going to have no convincing argument until he finds out what the truth is. So he says, Eve, he says, you can't eat of any tree in the garden, can you? Well, that's a lie, because that's not true. She says, oh, no, we can eat of any tree of the garden. But now the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat of that tree, for the day we eat it, we'll surely die. Now, that's all he need to hear. That's what God said. So then he comes back, and what's he say? You will not surely die. Nah, girl, you ain't going to do that. That ain't going to happen to you, girl. Nah, that ain't going to happen. You see what I'm saying? I mean, he threw that little knot up in there. I mean, here he gets the Word of God, and then he turns it. It becomes a lie. Deception now. Oh, child, please. You, you'll be all right. Listen, you know what? The reason why he said that, because he don't want you to be like him. Well, now, is, he, is Eve like God? He, she is like God in the sense that she's in the image of God, because he created both male and female. God created them both. And he only put good seed in the ground. 
He only put good seed down here. So she knows good. The truth of his statement is, she doesn't know evil. Now, does God know evil? He knows it, but he's not evil. He knows that I have kicked one out. I put him out. And you know what? It doesn't, you don't have to know this Eve or Adam. That's irrelevant. Because as long as you do what I say, he can't hurt you. Amen. He can't bother you. If you'll just do what I say, he can't bother you. Because you're in my image. Just do what I say. Well, what happened? Golly, she sure enough ate that thing, didn't she? Man, she did. But you know what? She didn't bring sin in. No, she went to her husband, the man who was delegated this authority. And she said, I ate it. It's good. What he should have done is said, honey, you wrong. That's what he should have done. He should have corrected his wife. Come on, husband. He should have corrected his wife. There ain't nothing wrong with correcting your wife sometimes. Amen. Don't feel guilty about it. If she's wrong, she's wrong. It's okay. Come on. It's all right. It's okay. It's all right. I know. Y'all doing all right. And all the women are turning red. And then after we leave, they she's going to go, Now, you heard what Pastor said, but I don't try that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He took the fruit. Listen, he willfully knew God's Word and chose to disobey God. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, through one man's transgression, sin, not sins, but sin entered the world. Sin did. Sin simply defined, because a lot of times we don't define it this way. Most people define sin as, you know, well, you're cussing or you're lying or you're cheating or you're, you're, you're fooling around or, you know, you're, you're stealing. No, sin is simply disobeying the Word of God who happens to be a king. It is disobeying the governing authority. And he's a righteous king. So this man brings disobedience, and from now on, a different seed's getting sown in the field. Now we found some tares. Hallelujah. And that's the world we're living in. But it's important to recognize the world didn't used to be like that. This is why when Jesus showed up and started preaching, he made statements like this. Because if you read the four Gospels, he preached on the kingdom all the time. Because he's from the kingdom. He's the king of a kingdom. Amen? And he's come to restore man's dominion back. See, Jesus didn't come back in a donkey or another snake, or a different form. He came in the image of a man. Because man is the one who has legal right to the earth. Do you see this? So he was born of a virgin. Why? Because from the man who disobeyed God, his seed, come on now, his seed is sown sinful nature. People who are not obeying God. It's not in their nature. It's not in their spirit to want to willfully obey God. But he said, no, I'm going to bring another one in the form, uh, from the seed of the woman. And from him, then he'll get different seed 
back in the planet. And so when he comes, he came preaching. His first message he ever preached was in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He said this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent, we've learned, is not a religious word at all. The word repent just simply means this in the Greek. Change your thinking. It also means this, side with my party. Now, it's powerful because Jesus is a king. And you write this down if you had not seen it yourself, but in John chapter 18, when he's having a conversation with Pilate, who's the governor, a government man, that man knew what government positions were because he was the governor in Rome, and he had a king. His name was Caesar. And he went to Jesus and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? Didn't ask him if he was a religious leader. Asked him if he was a king. And Jesus said, Did somebody tell you about me? Or did you, hear this on, did you get this on your own? Same kind of question that he had to Peter. Peter, who do people say that I am? But who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter said, I believe that you're the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood's not revealed that to you, but my Father who's in heaven. So he said, did, you, who, who, you know, did, you, did somebody tell you about me, or did you get this on your own? He said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own people have handed you over to me. And, and he said, what did you do? Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this realm, or not of this world. For if it were, my servants would let, let me be handed over to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom's not of this realm. He says, so you are a king. Jesus says, you say correctly, I am a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I've come to the earth to testify to truth. You know what the truth is? The world didn't used to look like this. You know what the truth is? My daddy didn't cause all these problems. You know what the truth is? My dad's not bringing all this death and destruction. You know what the truth is? There's some bad seed up in here, and I come to bring back some good seed. The truth is, what you look at is different than what my dad intended. Because he owns the field, and it was good, and his man fell asleep and let his enemy in. He let down his guard. He disobeyed and let the enemy come in and sow a bunch of bad seed. But dad still owns the field, and when it's all said and done, he's going to harvest all of it. Wise men came seeking a king. Come on now. Now, that's a powerful statement because in America, us being in a democracy, we've been taught all of our life there's separation between church and state. But in reality, in the Word of God, there is no separation between the kingdom of God and His church because the church is an expression of His kingdom. And Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 tells us a child will be given to us. Come on, put that up there. Chapter 9, Isaiah 9, 6. I want you to see this because it'll help get you on your course of where we're going. Because I'm excited. Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time, and I'm in a kingdom right now. Right now, he sits on a throne right now. And I work for him. Okay? Look what it says, Isaiah 9, 6, prophesied concerning Jesus. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. We know this is Jesus. But notice what Jesus is bringing. And the what? What's that word? The government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Next verse, verse 7. It says this, There will be no end to the increase of his what? Government or of? And remember the angels, when they went to the shepherds and watching their flock by night, said goodwill towards men, goodwill and peace, goodwill towards men and peace on the earth. Peace. What's he going to bring? He's going to bring peace. Didn't he bring peace when you got born again? Man, didn't that bring peace to you, that you became a child of God? Then it says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Amen. 
to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So Jesus came in to bring dominion back to man so that man could become a child of God again and their daddy is the king. Now I'm telling you, if you're born of God, your dad's a king. Your dad's a king. Period. And that's shocking because, again, in America... We are democracy, and we are always, you know, kind of picking and choosing what we want to do and stuff and feel like our opinions is what makes us free. But you understand, the Bible tells us what makes us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he says, your word is truth, and the truth sets you free. So it's the word that sets you free. That's Jesus who sets you free. And we're really free when we obey what Jesus said. And Jesus was our example because what did Jesus say? He said, I don't do anything on my own initiative, but only what the Father tells me to do. Why? Because I'm in a kingdom. He's the Father, I'm the Son. He's the King of Heaven, I'm going to be the King of the Earth. Because that one day, at, when this is all said and done in the end, He's going to hand over the kingdoms of the earth to His Father. Hallelujah. You see this? And we know this in Revelations, it tells us this. It says there'll become a new heaven and a new earth. Why are we making a new planet? If we're never going to be here. That's a good statement now. Okay, that doesn't mean we're not leaving. But you need to think of heaven a little more transitional than forever. Because you understand, heaven and earth, they're, they're just like one another in the end. Just like one another in the end. Okay? And you only get in a relationship with God one way. Only one way. You must believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. Period. It's a faith. It's not any work you did. It's the work He did. Okay? But listen, it's very clear, because this is what's mind-blowing. Savior is what He did. Lord is who He is. Because there's going to come a day people are going to stand before Him, and He was Savior. He did the act of saving, but because they didn't make Him Lord... He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see this? We must believe with our heart, the Bible says, and confess with our mouth, and that word confess means make a covenant with our mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord is not a religious word. Lord is the owner of property. The closest word that we know of this in the, in the United States is land Lord. Like we have a landlord here. In fact, when we got here, we turned the air conditioner on, you know, getting it to cool down. And when they opened those doors there, there was some water leaking. And we said, well, we have a landlord. Because guess who's responsible for that? They will be. And you want God to own you. You want Him to be Lord because then He'll take care of you. And the Bible tells us you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Woo, come on now. You want Him to own you, all right, because He loves us. And he knows what's best for us. And he wants to pull greatness out of us. And people who buy property usually want to fix it up and improve it so it has greater value. That's exactly what God did when he purchased you. And then he starts cleaning you up and he transforms your mind. And he makes you maybe you're more valuable for himself and for the world. Because, see, when you fix up property, people won't show up. Amen? I mean, when you're going down the interstate and, you know, and just, you're tired and you need to go to sleep, you tend to not go to those hotels... You know what I'm talking about, those Norman Bate ones. Those ones that look like, man, uh, you're looking for the Holiday Inn Express. You're looking for something that looks a little more improved, typically. Most of us don't say, well, let's try this one. It, 
No, you walk in and there's dust all over the place and the doors are creaking and it doesn't look like they painted in years and it smells like the 40s maybe. You know what I'm saying? There's chalk lines out in the middle of the parking lot. Look at this. This is neat. Honey, come and look in the bathroom. There's another one in here. No, you, you look for improved product. Why? It attracts you. See, God wants to clean and have the world be attracted to us. Amen? Because we have an answer. Okay. So here, there, now we recognize where the earth's at. That the Lord made the earth is good, and he signed a man. And this man now has dominion, but he fell asleep. He got out of his assignment, and the enemies come in. Jesus has come to restore man by being born of a different seed, and then all of us who are born of God are righteous. The old passes away, and behold, all things become new. We become a new creature in Christ. We become a righteous seed. Now, this is powerful. Let's look at this. I want to show a couple more things before we close tonight. Here's the thing. Even though, because here, what happened? They came... Um, it says, but when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Which tells us this. There is a season when a person becomes a child of God that it's kind of hard to recognize them from others. That's why Paul said that they are babes in Christ. Though spiritually they're different, but yet externally, right now, they're still a little rough around the edges. They still may say a few things that, you know, Typically, that's not in the culture. They may act a certain way that typically is not in the culture because what? They're still having to grow and mature. But the process is is that they are to actually produce the fruit that's in them. You know, we like to sing the song, Just As I Am. I said that this morning, actually, down to St. Augustine. Well, the Lord will take you as you are, but then He won't keep you there very long. Because you understand, when you come as you are, the minute you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your old spirit, man, that's as you are, is passed away, you become a new creature in Christ. The Holy Ghost comes and lives on the inside of you and bears witness with your spirit. You're a child of God. And now you're a different person. And now that spirit, man, and the Holy Ghost from the realm of God, the Spirit of God Himself, is an instructor. He will teach you and guide you into all truth. He will teach you all things. He will continually communicate. This is how people in the kingdom act like. This is how we operate. You don't do these things no more. You don't. And it will become evident because after you grow in the Word, He said, desire, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow by it that you ought to be able to tell the difference between who's wheat and who's tear. Because if, if these people are left in the field long enough and they keep getting watered, it would be pretty quick to determine who's of God and who's not. And I'm telling you, it's sad all across the United States. There are churches that you can't hardly tell the majority of the people in the churches are different than the world. And that should not be. It should not be. No, we are different. Not because we made ourselves different, but He made us different. And we continue to submit ourselves to His Lordship, to Him being supreme in authority of our lives, for us to be studiers of the Word, to be in church, to grow in the things of God, to apply the things of God, and we're going to be different people. And then we're going to start bearing the fruit, as Pastor Mark ministered, the fruits of the Spirit. We'll start showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Other people be getting mad and everything at work, and you just be the peace and calm of the storm, man. You'd be like, oh, this 
It's okay. Why ain't you mad about this? Well, listen, man, I'm really of another culture, honestly. I mean, my God's got this. I'm not worried about this. Do you understand? My God take care of me. See, that's foreign. Somebody come and slap Pastor Mark on the face, man, he can turn the other cheek. Why? Because he's of a different species of being. Come on now. He bear fruit of that. People stab you in the back, you know, done you wrong, and you can still love them and buy them lunch. And they go, you know how they talk about you? That's okay. Don't bother me. Because my God, you know, understand, I've done worse stuff in my lifetime, and he forgave me. I can forgive them. Amen. See, you're bearing fruit of some things. Then all of a sudden, so what's he say? He says, listen, he said, you want us to go? He said, listen, at first they don't even know what's going on because it all looks about the same. But all of a sudden, when fruit seed, when it starts to bear fruit, they realize, oh, no, we got some bad seed. Guess what the men did? They went back to the owner and said, did you do this? That's wrong. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people around, around the world that say, well, God's put sickness on me. Well, I got in that wreck because the Lord was trying to teach me something. Now, that's contrary to the Word of God. No, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But God comes to give life and life. See, the problems that we're having is not that God can't do something, but it's that the enemy's doing something as well. But God gets credit for everything, both good and bad. Amen. But the Lord gives it back to man so that he can walk into being in the earth again and to be able to have authority over the enemy. Hallelujah. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he says, go therefore. He said, the works that I do, you can do also. That's a powerful statement. Why? Because we are of God again. Amen. Now, again, we're going to die because our body has not been redeemed yet physically. You understand, we've got a lifespan of about 120 years, because that's what the Lord put on man after Noah. But you know what? There's going to come a day that this body's going to put on immortality. Hallelujah. And we live forever in a body as well. Praise the Lord. So, we see here that there's going to be evidence between the two. Now, when they find out, they say, well, let's go. Do you want us to pull up the tares? And know what the master said. He said, first of all, I didn't do it. An enemy's done this. Don't be trying to put me, give me credit for something I didn't do. He said, but don't pull it up because they're too young. In essence, the, 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 the tares and the wheat's roots have gotten tangled together. But notice they didn't become the same root. Amen. They're feeding off two different sources. They may be intertwined, and at this stage, if you pull the tare, you may pull the wheat with it, and the wheat hasn't produced, the, it hasn't matured yet. And I'm not here to get the wheat till it's matured. And as he says this, it doesn't matter if my seed is in the same field with the wrong seed because my seed will always produce its fruit. It's stronger than the tear. Right. See, in the world we get all, everybody, oh, be careful of sin. Don't talk about the devil, you know, because he, no, 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 no. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I can grow right, I can work right along the worst person destined to be separated from God at their own choosing. They can be a hater of God. They can be living the most unrighteous life. And I can work right next to them and still influence them with my culture. I did this case in point when I was in Oklahoma when I was going to Bible school there. Uh, there was a gentleman. His name was uh, a gentleman name. And so, um, he, um, 
he, he would invite me because we worked third shift because I went to school during the day. So I worked from 10 10.30 p.m. till 7 o'clock in the morning if all the orders were pulled. I worked in a warehouse. And so um, he, after they got off at 7 a.m., they would go down and drink. And they'd invite me. No, I, I'm going to school. I can't do that. I don't do that. You know, that's not my lifestyle. And, you know, I didn't talk negative towards them, but, you know, I'm not going. And then a few other mornings they started going to little strip clubs. And they were inviting me. Well, I'm married, happily married, and I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't dishonor my God. Sure wouldn't dishonor my wife at all. Okay? So no. And I remember this gentleman said, he said, you know what? Before you leave here, he goes, I'll convert you. I looked at him. I said, no. Before I leave, I can change you. Well, I was there for 18 months. And I left in July. Um... My wife and I graduated from school right at the end of May. I stayed back in Tulsa for a month, finishing up some things at work. She had moved in with her father uh, in Atlanta. He was going through some treatments uh, for some throat cancer, and then she was helping remodel the house because my wife likes to do a bunch of decorating. <laughs> and um, so she was there, and, and I um, happened to live with Pastor Brian and Pastor Mike, both of them who are down with us now in St. Augustine in their apartment for about a month. And so... Um, during that time, I remember it was the last day that I was working. Uh, I believe it was on a, a Friday. could have been a Thursday. And I was leaving at 5 a.m. instead of 7. I was leaving a couple hours early. And it was probably about 4 a.m. Um, he rolled around on his forklift. And he said, hey, come back here. So I followed him back. And we were side by side in our cherry pickers. And he said, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. So I prayed with him in the 11th hour, and he got born again, and I left. And I remember walking out, I didn't look back, because I felt like that's the first time I got to experience pastoring people, this group of people that I worked with. But my seed wasn't influenced by his seed, but my seed influenced his. You see what I'm saying? See, the Lord don't mind that you're in a world that's bad because you have the greater one in you. That's why if you go back and read about where he placed the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he did not tuck it away in the back corner like this tree right here is. He didn't put it so far. Because you think if it, if it was that bad, if it'd be that tough, he'd hide that thing from him. Because as big as the garden was, I mean, they have all these other things. They'd, they'd have to stumble across it. They'd have to go looking for it. No, the Bible says it was in the midst of the garden. One translation says right in the middle. It means if they were going anywhere in the garden, if they ever just walked through the middle, there it is. Saw it all the time. And the Lord knew that if you just do what I say, it don't matter if it's standing in front of you. It doesn't matter. Because as long as you choose not to submit to that, then the great you'll always operate in the things of God. Hallelujah. Amen? So we can stand in this world. I want to encourage you tonight that if you are of God, you can stand in a world that isn't in the design God created it. And you can overcome and still bear the fruits of of God, the things of God in a world that says it can't happen anymore. Because I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day where he's going to come for and bring in the latter rain, and the latter rain's for the maturing of the crop, okay? Not for just everybody, but for mature ones. And then he's going to come back for his church. He's going to rapture that. He's going to pull that. Amen. And those that are on appeal, we know they are destined to a place that God never wanted them to go. But they will be eternally separated from God because they denied Him as Lord of their life. They'll be separated eternally, and that is not God's heart. God's heart is that they all would repent, what change their thinking, and become born again. 
be born again. So, we need to recognize that though we may be in a world different than what God originally intended, we can thrive in it. And the resources that we need to grow in, we can, we can do it here. Because we have His Word, and everything God needs to get to us to accomplish His will in the earth, He can do so. He can do so. Isn't that good news? And in the end, the Lord will come and He'll examine the fruit. He knows who's of Him and who's not because it's obvious based upon the way the fruit is. Isn't that good news tonight? Hallelujah. Well, I want to encourage you tonight by that. I want to encourage you tonight that, man, we can walk in the things of God. We can be firm. And you know what? There's going to come a day that He's going to come back down to this field and He's going to clean it all up. And we know He won't flood it again. He's going to burn it off. He's going to burn the field. Get off all the impurities. He's going to burn it up, and there's going to be a new one. That only good seed will be back in. Only. Only good seed. He'll restore it to how He originally created it. Amen. So while we're in a field where the enemy sown seed, let's thrive as children of God. Let's bear fruit of God. And be strong. And if we live out our life, then we can say, like Paul did, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I've run my course. And that we would stand before him and hear our king. Because, you know, the Bible says every knee will bow. Why do we bow? Because that's what you do before a king. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. And at that point, I'm going to have him say to me, I'm going to hear him say it. Because I'm submitted to him. I'll do whatever he says. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Amen. Pastor Marcus, come. Well, bow your heads if you would. If you're here tonight and he's not Lord, man, it's time to get him Lord. It's time. Because I'm telling you...